Dr. Jean Twangy is with us right now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, listen, you said that something happened in 2012 that caused a dramatic shift in the behavior of this latest generation, the one right below the millennials. I've read the article in The Atlantic. I was fascinated by it, and we tried to get you last week. And so I'm so happy you're here with us today. But can you explain what happened? Yeah, so I call this generation iGen, like iPhones. Uh, and that's because the biggest influence in their lives has been they've spent their entire adolescence with a smartphone, which is a first for a generation. So I uh, looked at generational differences for about 25 years, mm-hmm. and I keep an eye on these big uh, national surveys that are done of teens every year here in the U.S. And around 2012, um, I started to notice more teens were saying that they felt useless, that they felt like they couldn't do anything right. These are classic symptoms of depression. They also started to say they felt more lonely and more left out. And, uh, well, that's a huge cause for concern. But as someone that studies, you know, uh, generations, you're not willing to put all the blame on smartphones, but you see a correlation or something that you could say, well, this is where this generation differed, correct? Yeah. So, you know, it just so happens 2012 is the year when the percentage of Americans with a smartphone crossed 50 percent. And uh, between, say, 2012 and 2016, uh, that was by far the biggest change in teens' day-to-day lives, was the amount of time they were spending on a smartphone, on a screen, uh, and the decrease in the amount of time they were spending interacting with each other in person, because that was the other thing that really jumped out at me in the transition between millennials and iGen, was them spending less time with their friends in person. And the smartphone has invaded, you said, every aspect of the teenagers' lives. It really has. So that's one, been one of the biggest effects is they are spending about six to eight hours a day of their leisure time on uh, some form of screen, usually a phone. And that is a lot of time. It crowds out the time that they might be doing other things. And so in these surveys uh, that I analyzed for the book, they're saying that they're less likely to hang out with their friends just informally or go to the shopping mall or drive around in a car or go to parties. Anything that teens historically have done to get together with each other, iGen teens are doing it less. And you're saying that some of the generational changes are positive, some are negative, many are both. I was shocked at the fact that, you know, I thought it was just my, my nephews and some of my friends' kids. These kids don't want licenses. And so that's leading to, you know, uh, greater safety. And parents in some cases are like, whew, okay, I'll drive you around because I know you're not getting in the car with somebody that's drinking or driving. It's sort of like uh, what's going on right now with the smartphone. There's such a positive and negative to both aspects of this. It's, it's never been easier to be a parent because you know where your kids are and what they're not doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that was the other big trend, which is uh, chapter one in the book, is teens growing up more slowly. So iGen teens, compared to those in the past, by uh, end of grade 12, are uh, less likely to have their driver's license, to work at a paid job, to go out with other parents, to date, um, to have sex, and to drink alcohol. So as you can see, those trends are some things that, yes, parents would think were very positive, Others, you can't really judge that way, you know, say driving and working. But what they all have in common are all things adults do that children don't, that are adolescent milestones. And iGen teens are doing those things later. Do we know how much later or is it too early to tell? Well, I, I can tell you that, for example, it used to be about three out of four um, high school se- high school seniors, grade 12, um, who had a paid job during the school year, and now it's only about half. I uh, used to be about 90% who had their driver's license, and now it's only about 73%. 
Wow. So that's a big that's a big difference. Another thing I found fascinating is the fact that you know these teens these or the these teenagers that we say now are overscheduled. Not so. They've got more leisure time than we ever had. That's right because they're less likely to work at a paid job. And contrary to popular belief, they're actually doing a little less homework than teens did, uh, say, back in the 1990s. In terms of extracurricular activities, the time they spend is about the same. I heard Matt and Sapri, our morning host, talking about uh, some of the results of, of what your research was and, and your surveys and talking to teens, uh, the, the, the I gen- generation. And Matt was mentioning, you know, they have these uh, friendships that are kind of uh, they're based on illusion on the smartphone. Do you, do you believe that? Because I think that, that these are just a different kind of relationship, a different kind of friendship. Yeah, and, and sometimes it is, it is a different type of friendship. And you know, most of the time when teens are communicating uh, through social media and texting, it's with people they already know. It's just that they do more of their communication electronically rather than face-to-face. I think the problem is there's been the assumption that that's just the same, that communicating uh, online and through texting is just as good for mental health as face-to-face interaction. We now know that it's not. So what do you do? I mean, are, how much should we limit our kids from the, you know, what is essentially the telephone of our day? You know, your yeah. parents were always like, get off the phone. Right. So, you know, for younger teens, I think it's best to put off getting them a smartphone uh, for longer. So the average age now uh, for for kids to get a smartphone is now 10, which is really, really young. So better to wait till maybe 14 or so uh, because some of the mental health correlations with spending a lot of time on the phone are the biggest, uh, strongest for the younger teens. For older teens, those who don't use a smartphone at all, not surprisingly, are not very happy because then they're really disconnected from their friends because it is really just like the telephone mm-hmm. was in Gen X uh, era. But if they're spending roughly, say, two hours a day or more um, texting or on social media or on screens overall, that's where the mental health issues start to show up. So a moderate amount of use, a small amount of use, that's the sweet spot for happiness. So that's where we should aim to get our teens and ourselves, I'd like to point out. Yeah. So it's not just teens, it's also adults, too, that if we can keep our use of these, you know, these are great devices, but use them in a limited way, don't have it take over your life. How do we do that? I mean, do we uh, give kids an, an ex- excuse of, oh, oh, my parents have me doing this? Do we give them an out? Do we have um, to structure them? On their, you put an app on their phone. Then you don't have to fight about it. You just put the app on their phone. It'll shut it down. If, let's say, they spend one day, um, you know, two hours on Snapchat, it'll, it'll cut them off because that's enough. Uh, it can also shut down the phone at night. So then they can get a good night's rest. I mean, right. that alone might be the reason for the mental health issues is that kids are on their phones, you know, right before they go to bed and sometimes in the middle of the night. What you're telling me is parents have to be prepared to be the bad guys. They do. And that's I have three kids myself. And honestly, you know, I think that is just the way it is, that your job isn't just to make your kid happy in the moment. Your job is to raise a successful adult, and that sometimes in the short term that means you have to be the bad guy. One of the things I found really shocking about your research and your article that was in The Atlantic that actually is, uh, you know, just a – it's uh, a very quick glimpse at uh, your new book, which is iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood, and what that means for the rest of us, is the misconception that we have that these kids, these teenagers, are technologically more savvy than we, because they're using their uh, phones 
basically for social media. Yeah. So, you know, I think it is absolutely true that um, the Internet and this technology has given us access to a vast amount of information. But that's generally not what teens are doing with that time. The vast majority of the time on their phones is communicating with each other and entertainment. And that's true for most adults, too. So, you know, we have more access to more information than any time in history. And what we're using it for is to watch funny cat videos. Right. I, I, a friend of mine, the one that actually directed me to this in your, this uh, article of yours, and I, uh, you know, she said you sh- should get this woman on your show. She sounds really interesting, and I thank her for that. I know she's listening. I, I said, you know, I was going to talk to you today, and, and, and I said, well, what would you want to know? She said, I want to know how to motivate, you know, kids to want more when everything is already literally at their fingertips. To want more what, exactly? Well, I guess, you know, and that's a question, you know, uh, I should have asked her for clarification, but I think she was saying more out of life, more than Mm -hmm. just sitting in your room on your phone, looking at your phone. When the world is at your fingertips, how do you motivate them to actually get out there and enjoy it, not through a screen, but just, you know, through their own senses? Well, you know, I interviewed a lot of teens, so, you know, most of what I do is based on these surveys, but I also wanted to go in depth. I was actually really encouraged by how clear-eyed um, this generation is mm. about this technology. At least, at least some of the kids I talked to were. There's one 13-year-old who said, you know, we like our phones better than people. It hurts wow. when my friend is looking at her phone instead of looking me in the eye. I know my parents' generation didn't do that. So I, I think teens have at least some awareness that this isn't actually the best way to live their lives. So that even more suggests that parents stepping in and saying, okay, you can have this. I know you want to keep in touch with your friends, but we're going to limit that. Then they do go out there, and they realize pretty quick, hey, you know, when I'm going out there and exercising or hanging out with my friends in person, um, talking to my family, I'm happier than when I spent five hours straight in my room on my phone. Well, it seems like common sense when you say it that way. It's basically it comes down to parent your kids. It does. And trust me, as the parent of three and the one uh, who is usually the bad guy instead of the the softy, I know the consequences of that. Um, But I think in the end, it really is the, the right thing to do. Because I mean, think about it this way. You know, when your kids were toddlers, if you said, what do you want for dinner, they would say cookies. Mm. Were you really going to give that to them? You know, well, probably not. That's not the best for them in the long run. And this is just the teenage version of the same thing. How much do parents need to lead by example? I think a lot. I think that's another big part of it. I think there's a lot of teens who say, well, why should I have a limit when you're on your phone all the time? And the tough thing for a lot of parents is a lot of times they're on it for work, and that's usually not why the teen's on the phone. Mm -hmm. So that makes that conversation a little more difficult. Still, put that phone away for the family dinner time. Shut it off. Everybody has to shut it off for a certain amount at night. So I think there's certain rules everybody has got to follow. And, yes, try to lead by example because then you don't have that phone in your hand when, you're, when your teen or your kid is trying to talk to you. Dr. Twangy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm so happy that you uh, agreed to be on the show today. Thank you very much for inviting me. All right. Cheers. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, you too. All right, Dr. Jean Twenge, if you want to read the article, it's in The Atlantic, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? It's fascinating. We couldn't get to everything in this. She's a professor at the, the uh, of psychology at San Diego State University and the author of Generation Me and iGen. She's written a new book. It's called uh, iGen, 
And uh, it's got a super, here it is, why uh, today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. Sound like someone in your house? And what it means for the rest of us is the name of the new book.